Why are you bringing up such painful memory? <laughs> I've just, last year, finally, you know, recovered shaking. This was a street fight. People were scared of this movie, just like they were scared of Batman. Tim is really, I gotta be honest, I think one of the only people who could really do it justice because he understands it. He's lived it. Man, he would have knocked it out of the park. Tim was really gearing up for that and was really excited about it. So, you know, from that perspective, it was a big disappointment because I think he would have really stretched in a way that um, he hadn't yet. And, and maybe hasn't, since I don't know, he hasn't really made that movie. Tim Burton's Superman would have been something quite unique. And, and, and probably something we'd still be talking about. I always felt it was a missed opportunity, you know, because I think it would have been a really interesting movie with, with the way that Tim's take on it and with Nick playing Superman. I think it would have been awesome at that point in time. Tim was not a comics geek. It is more of a, um, a let's take this apart, look at the fundamental roots of it, and let's build it back up. I was always so excited by that footage. It's priceless. It's fantastic. I, I was referring to this footage as the Holy Grail. It is like the Holy Grail. For anybody who thinks I'm insulting their Superman, I'll tell you something. He doesn't belong to you. I always looked at Superman and get, can we get the diapers off of him a little bit? If it's what you do for a living and you're excited about it yourself, you, the, the audience better be excited about it, right? They just wanted us to go crazy. They just said, just draw monsters. Now when you think about it, if somebody was like, would you like to see a Nick Cage Superman movie? I'd be like, and yes, take all my money, because I want to see what that looks like. Lights, camera, action, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Film and Water podcast. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, from AquamanShrine.net and the Fire and Water podcast. And joining me uh, for this episode, where we were to discuss John Schnepp's 2015 documentary, The Death of Superman Libs, is Cord Industries founder, Tim Wallace. Tim, thanks for doing the show. Th thank you for having me, Rob. I'm very happy to be here. Cool. That's uh, I, very exciting. I had been wanting to see this movie for a little while. I had heard, as soon as I heard about it, uh, I thought, what a great idea for a documentary, because this is one of sort of the great lost films, uh, certainly within geek cir circles, maybe even in, in film history, period. Um, and so then when I mentioned it, uh, wanting to see it on uh, the Fire and Water podcast a couple episodes ago, the Blackhawk show I did with Michael Bailey, Tim mentioned that he was a big fan of it, and I realized, well, this is perfect thing. Can I have somebody to come on the show and discuss it with me? Uh, so I went and watched it. I finally got around to watching it. Uh, it's available on the Death of Superman Lives website, which we will have a um, link to in the show notes. And uh, before my thoughts, uh, I, I want to sort of give a little bit of a background for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. This is a documentary about the aborted Tim Burton, Nicolas Cage Superman Lives movie, which was developed in the mid-90s for many years, never actually got made, and it somehow, in a weird way, morphed its way into Superman Returns in 2006, you know, all those years later. And it, for, for many years, the only thing available from this film was a single Polaroid of Nicolas Cage as Superman looking stoned. <laughs> and that was sort of the evidence of what a horrible idea this movie was. And then, but uh, director John Schnepp did an amazing job digging up all this material. I mean, he found there was way more material for this movie done than I ever imagined. And I think part of the 
I think this film has to kind of be looked at in two parts. One, the film itself as a documentary. And then secondly, whether you as the viewer feel as though this film was a missed opportunity or are you glad that it was never made? Uh, and I will say that my opinion of this film changed having seen the documentary. But before we get into that, um, we should mention, Tim, what did you, how did you come to find this movie and what did you think of it? Well, like everybody else, I had seen the, uh, the Polaroid. Right, and, right, right. And back in the 90s had heard, you know, Tim Burton's going to direct uh, a Superman film. And and uh, I'm not going to lie, I was I was one of the people when he cast uh, Michael Keaton as Batman that was like, no, not Mr. Mom. <laughs> um, but Michael Keaton to this day is my absolute favorite Batman. Uh-huh. Um, so George Reeves, actually from the 50s TV show, is, has always been my Superman. Um, so Nicolas Cage didn't really fit that image. Um, but it was, it was kind of intriguing. And then when it went nowhere, it kind of developed that mystery around it. Um, I had seen a listing, uh, for John Schnepp's, uh, film on uh, Kickstarter. Right. And, it was a Kickstarter supported film. And, uh, I flip flopped back and forth, you know, do I support it? Do I, you know, maybe I'll just wait and see, see what happens. And I missed the the deadline for the Kickstarter and was like, okay, you know, no big deal. And then I started seeing it pop up online again that he had gone to uh, fan-backed uh, to get some finishing funds to, to do some of the animated sequences that ended ah, up in the, uh, okay. in the documentary. And then I was like, all right, this is a sign. It, you know, <laughs> it's the, the second option to, to jump in, so I'm going to do it. So I, uh, I signed up, got the, uh, got the digital download and the Blu-ray package, and uh, I've watched it probably about four times now. Wow. And it is absolutely fascinating. So is your name in the, in the end credits there? It, it, sh- it is. It's, oh, it's that's kinda, great. It's kind of hard to make out. It's in really, really tiny print. Um, and it scrolls by a little fast. But right. yes. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. That's really great. Yeah, I mean, I, even, if, um, even if like anyone who's seen this movie doesn't think it's particularly great – or even if you're someone who doesn't really care about this this subject, I think it's great that a fan just sort of willed this film into existence. I mean, Absolutely. Because the film opens with an intro uh, by Schnepp. I mean, he's on camera throughout the film interviewing all these people. I mean, and he gets a – I mean, he got pretty much everybody connected with the film except for Nicolas Cage. Right. Which you could say that's a pretty big – you know, not a pretty big miss, but I mean, I get the sense Nicholas Cage is kind of like a really weird dude. Um, <laughs> I think Tim Burton is weird, but kind of in a more approachable weird. Right. I get the sense Nick Cage is like genuinely weird. Um, but he got everybody else. I mean, Colleen Atwood, the costume designer, Tim Burton, Kevin Smith, who did a treatment at one point, John Peters, who seems like just this most scummiest <laughs> douchebag in the world. I mean, not a shock that a Hollywood producer is a scummy douchebag, but he seems right. to like really be trying to be a scummy douchebag. Um, tons of production artists. Uh, one of the later screenwriters, Dan Gilroy, who's written other, you know, written lot, lots of mm-hmm. other movies. I mean, he really did a great job. And, and like I said, even if you don't come away with this film thinking it was all that great, uh, you have to admire a fan who's just like, I want to see this and I'm going to put the funds together and I'm going to use all my resources and make it. And I, yeah. that, that's impressive. That's a really like he should be absolutely proud of that, regardless of 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 how it even came out. 
Absolutely. I mean, it, I mean, to your point, though, even with uh, even with him not getting Nick Cage for the interviews, there was still plenty of, of footage of Nick talking to Tim Burton about it or, or yes. doing the, co- the costume tests and the behind the scenes stuff. And I think there was even like an Access Hollywood little snip of an interview where he mentions uh, being in the film but it, or being in the production of the film, but then it fell apart. And then when he finally saw Superman Returns, it, that wasn't the movie he wanted to make anyway, which I thought was was kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, he really did a great job finding all this stuff. I had no idea that the film was this far along. I mean, there is extensive production art. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that was... I, I, almost too much. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, for a documentary, for a, for a self-funded documentary, this thing runs... One hour and like forty minutes, which is yeah. very long. I mean, most documentaries are not, you know, something of that length, especially when it's a fan-made thing. Because literally, I mean, I'm sure every minute of film you're shooting is costing you X number of dollars. So, I mean, you have if you're Kickstarter supported, I would imagine you're like, well, let me see if I can wrap this up in eighty minutes. But Schnepp really does. Sh- I mean, there are there are just tons and tons of drawings, and and um, uh, I will say I had this film on when. Uh, as the aforementioned uh, Darlene Tracy came home, and this isn't something she would ever be interested in, <laughs> but nevertheless, she was watching some of it, and she was like, "Wow, some of this artwork is really beautiful," and it is. I mean, these, some of the painters they hired to do these sort of production designs are—it's really gorgeous stuff. It, it really was, and and the th- one of the things that struck me too was that you get that image of of Tim Burton. There's there's almost the uh, Edward Gorey quality or, oh, yeah, yeah. or Charles Adams quality to, to Tim Burton stuff. And there's almost an expectation that, that that's what you're going to see. And then they start bringing in, uh, Carrie Gamble and Brahm and, uh, and all these other artists and they're putting their own take on it. And it turns into this absolutely, um, what, what was the, uh, when they were designing the, uh, Superman's flight suit after he's reborn and, mm-hmm. And it was the they, they kept referring to it as a New York Art Deco look, and I'm I'm looking at it and going, like, wow, I could actually see that like on top of a skyscraper, like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it really does have a, a, a sort of like 1920s retro futurist kind of feel to it. It it, yeah. it, it had much. I, I will say, uh, I guess I should get into it. like when I heard about this film, you know, the 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 Tim Burton Nichols Cage Superman, I was like, no effing way. <laughs> no, I don't want to see this. Now, I will say that I, you know, a lot of it was based on Nicolas Cage in the last ten years, right? Who just doesn't seem to care anymore. I mean, I, I get the sense he just takes checks, you know, and he's just whatever, whatever crazy two words you want to smash together into a title: Bangkok dangerous or whatever. You know, I'll take it. Um, I, I feel like once he got his Oscar, he's like, I have nothing left to prove, you know. Right. So what the hell? So. And and the idea of Tim Burton on Superman, I was like, mm, you know, no, 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 no. Um, so I never really wanted to see this movie. I, I'm kind of glad that it fell apart because I am a fan of Superman Returns. It's I, I still say it's a, a a pretty good movie. It's a deeply flawed film, but I I like it, and I was happy that that was the version they went with over this version. That said. There was a lot more to this than I imagined, and a lot more thought was behind it, and it really would have been a Superman film unlike anybody had ever seen. Yeah. And, and, you know, there is a part of me that watched this movie saying, I'm kind of sorry we never got to see this. There's a lot of interesting stuff here. 
Yeah, I was uh, one of the other things that really, really clicked in my head was as you're watching it, and um, I can't remember now uh, who said it, but somebody said it was uh, that this would have been the the yin the yin to Burton's Batman Yang. Hmm. It would have been it would have been the balance between the light and the dark. So if Batman was was the dark nighttime, this would be Burton taking on this this bright uh, like daytime Superman scenario. And it, at first, I was like, you know, Burton doing something bright. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know. But then I started to think like like Big Fish or uh, or Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Even I mean, those are those are brighter, more uh, hopeful, more positive. Uh, Burton films, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so when I start looking at it in that light, I'm like, you know, this this actually would have been really interesting. This this would have been a very different take. Uh, like I said before, like George Reeves is my Superman, and this would be far removed from from, from oh, the yeah. old 1950 Superman. But but I can actually see this, you know, having its own unique place in the in the Superman mythos. Yeah, I mean, my favorite Tim Burton film by far is is Ed Wood, and oh yeah, for for all of its sort of dark sensibilities, it's actually a very sweet, hopeful film. So yeah, I mean, Burton can certainly do light; he just does it in a very different way. And the thing I think more than anything else that sold me on this version was his designs for Brainiac, uh, <laughs> because I and I've said this on Fire and Water, I am amazed that Brainiac is always left on the table when it comes to Superman films. He's never been adapted mm-hmm. into a Superman film. And to me, he is one of Superman's best villains. He come to me, he, he combines the brain, the, you know, the brain aspect that you need to take on Superman with the brawn. Uh, and you know, like one of the big complaints about Superman returns is that he basically didn't get to punch anybody. Because of, obviously, if he's fighting with Luthor, he punches Luthor. He breaks Luthor into several smaller pieces. Right. But Brainiac, you could have Brainiac building jump bigger and bigger metal machines to fight Superman. And I don't know why every time they make a Superman movie, Brainiac is just never in the equation. He's just left behind, and that seems to be happening again with Batman v Superman. <laughs> I, I've heard nothing about Brainiac, but the designs that that Burton had would be in a lot of ways that like Brainiac would be this, you know, this green face with a, like a, a big cloak that he would constantly be wearing. And then you would find out that he was basically like a spider in, you know, like a head in a jar almost. And the, the spider body was hid under this cloak. And I was like, I really like that. I mean, it's very Tim Burton-y, but I, it, I, it was creepy and weird. And I was like, I, I would have loved to have seen this. As, yeah. As they, de- as they described it, there was the, uh, there was the reference to the head, the head in the jar, like uh, like Madame Leota in the Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. So there was there was a head in the jar. Then at one point they referred to the 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 hooded cape on him, looking making him look like a cobra. Right. And I'm like I'm like okay, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then when the cape's removed, it's it's that spider thing, and I'm like that's really awesome too. And then in my head I thought this is all this is all like Mars Attacks. There's a, yeah, not, that's true. It's not in a bad way, but but I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the the whole the the cobra, the spider, the the head in the jar, all, a lot of this ended up kind of being translated over into into Mars Attacks. You're right. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, it it really. I mean, I would have liked to have seen 
like a more traditional Superman film after this one. Because to me, a Superman movie where he's not in the costume is really, uh, you know, you're really playing with fire there, you know. Um, but it this really, it, it almost would have been like a Superman Blade Runner kind of, you know, like Superman in the world of Blade Runner with um, almost like a Five Thousand Fingers or Doctor T <laughs> thrown in, like it had, like it had a Doctor Seussian feel. And like I said, it, yeah. it, it really would have been unlike anything you've ever seen. And it was kind of sad to find that the real reason that this fell apart was so pedantic and that it was money. Yeah. It was just money. It was that this film, Warner Brothers started looking at it and saying, my God, this thing is going to cost $40 billion. And they had a year of flops, which was, there's a great sequence in this film. And I got to give all credit to director John Schnepp because I think he really told the story quickly and efficiently was he shows you like 10 Warner Brothers movie posters in a row with their budgets and then shows you what they made. <laughs> right. And you immediately get the sense of, oh, no wonder Warner Brothers was running scared because they put out 10 films and it was like, you know, budget, $170 million, box office, 36.1. And it's sort of funny because you're like, if you're Tim Burton, you're like, wait a minute, why am I being blamed? Because you guys made a steel movie. Right, right. You know, like you, you guys put Shaquille O'Neal as steel. You didn't make your money back. What a shock! Why, why am I punished for that? I, I can see how frustrating that's got to be. Oh yeah, I mean, and I think I think someone else, someone else that was interviewed in that documentary also made a reference to uh, Burton being a little soured by the experience because uh, he felt Joel Schumacher had uh, ruined what he had started with Batman. And, oh, that's and, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Batman and I think Batman and Robin was maybe the first movie poster they showed. Yes, I think you're right. <laughs> so, so yeah. it just kind of hammered that point home. Yeah, somebody points out it's like, wait a minute, you know, Warner Brothers, the guy Tim Burton handed you this billion dollar franchise, which you then later crapped on, and now you're now you're sort of pre crapping on him doing <laughs> this. Yeah, I mean, you really do feel as though Tim Burton's kind of getting the short end of the the stick. I mean, I again, I could see that the budget was probably spiraling really out of hand because this would have been a hugely expensive film to make. I mean, just the visual scope of it would have just been astounding. And and they don't really get into this too much. Or if they did, I don't remember. You said you, you've seen it four times now, so maybe you remember. But, like, this is 1996. So this is just before computer effects started becoming standard. So it's like, would this stuff have been practical or would it have been computer generated? Because if it would have been computer generated in 1998, it would have looked pretty horrible. As we know, it would have looked bad. The, um, I, they, they talked to Steve Johnson and he was one of the, uh, the, the effects guy. He, he'd done Ghostbusters, the, the start, one of the Stargate TV series, Nightmare on Elm Street. And from what they talked to him, I got the impression that it was mostly practical, oh, but, boy. but during one of the, uh, during one of the, the segments where they were talking about the, uh, how they were going to do flight, um, they did say that they were bringing in, uh, ILM. Oh, that's that, right. That's right. That ILM had been consulted and there was a, a, a really short, probably not even 30 seconds, uh, footage of someone in a Superman costume. I don't think it was Nick Cage. No. Oh, yeah, right. Out in the daylight, right? He's like, yeah. He's like landing in a parking lot or something. Yeah. Um, and actually, that, that didn't look too bad. No, you're right. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Yeah, I mean, it would have been uh, remarkable to see some of these sets actually built 
that might have been because it said again the visual imagination on display here is really remarkable and it's funny when you think that when Superman Returns eventually came and went uh, Warner Brothers chalked up all of this development money they spent on the Burton version against the budget of Superman Returns Mm -hmm. so when Superman Returns made and I'm putting my fingers up here in quotes only you know, three hundred million or four hundred million worldwide. They were like, "Well, we spent two hundred fifty million making it, so it was technically a flop." And it's like, "Well, you didn't spend two fifty making it. You spent, you know, a hundred and something making it, and then you spent another hundred and fifty on some other thing." But I mean, that wasn't Brian Singer's fault. He didn't spend two hundred and fifty, but they they counted this all as just development of one Superman film, and. You know, uh, that's – that said, there is a lot of stuff in it that does make you roll your eyes. I mean, to me, every interview with John Peters <laughs> – I mean, look, I, I've said this before and, you know, I've mentioned it uh, in previous episodes. Like, you know, I'm a, obviously I'm a movie person. I've got a whole podcast here devoted to movies and my – I work in movie trailers now. And I don't think anybody would be surprised that it's like my ultimate dream would be to like be in the movie business. I don't want to make movies, but I would love to like be involved in the production end or the marketing end. Right. That said, every time I see an interview with a Hollywood producer, you're just like, oh, I don't know if I want to work in that <laughs> industry because these guys are such a... – and Peters is just so oily and sleazy. There's a point where he literally takes a phone call in the middle of the interview. Yes. And John Schnapp <laughs> – being very impish just keeps the camera going and he doesn't cut and he's just sitting there drinking water while john peters is take talking on the phone he just looks like such an a-hole <laughs> you know i actually wondered because I, I i've seen it a couple times now or a few times but i kept i kept wondering was was him drinking the water like some kind of silent signal to the cameraman to keep going because he kind of held the bottle in in one particular spot and although he was drinking, it never looked like he, he really <laughs> took that much <laughs> liquid in. It, oh, that's it, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a very surreal moment because you're just like – you know, he's like, just wait one second. And John's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then it just holds on him yeah. for like a good two minutes and you're like, this is so weird. And he's like – you just figure, all right, this is Schnepp doing this on purpose because he obviously could have edited oh, yeah. that whole chunk out. So. Yeah, I mean, Peter's, you know, there, he got obsessed with this idea that Superman was going to fight a giant spider. <laughs> and it was like, it didn't matter that whether that fit in the film or not. He was simply wanted to put Superman fighting a giant spider. In fact, he loved the giant spider idea so much that, much like with Mars Attacks, the giant spider ended up getting used in another movie, right. Wild Wild West, <laughs> because Kenneth Branagh ends up riding a giant mechanical spider. So it was like, John Peter just wanted to see a giant mechanical spider in a movie. And that, it didn't matter what movie he worked it into. Right. The, the giant spider and the polar bear fight. Oh, and the polar oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that, there is a lot of stuff where you're like, what the hell is with these guys? You know? And you really do kind of feel for Superman that he's like, he's just this thing that's getting tossed around by various people who don't care. You know, that, that's kind of a – yeah, there's a, the whole polar bear for, Fortress of Solitude sequence is just strange. The, the, but – Back back to Peters, like you're you're right. There there's something very unsettling, makes you feel dirty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the whole I have I have three rules for for Kevin Smith to write: no no flying, no costume, and then the reason he gave for no costume, <laughs> which was inappropriate. Oh yeah yeah. <laughs> 
It was the weirdest. And you know, it was funny. The other thing about not to pick on John Peters too much, but like there's a documentary that came out when Superman Returns came out called uh, I think it's I think it's called Up, Up and Away or something like that. But anyway, it was like a feature length documentary. Karen, Kevin Spacey narrated it. And they talk about the develop. They get into this movie a little bit and then they get into the development of Superman Returns. And Peters is in that. And they talk about how it came to be and how Brian Singer came about. And John Peters, without a scintilla of irony, describes Brian Singer's vision of the film as being brilliant because he goes, Brian decided to just do the comic book. And I just thought that was so brilliant. And I'm like, only in Hollywood <laughs> is taking someone else's idea considered brilliant. I'm like, no, I mean, I like Brian Singer. And I like his movies, some of his movies, and I like Superman Returns. But the idea of doing a Superman movie just like the comic book is hardly a brilliant idea. Right. It's sort of like – I think that's like every comic fan wants to just punch the screen. And you're like, yeah, of course do it like the comic book, you idiots. Like how do all these people that are so dumb be in so much – in charge of so much money? Like, you know, that's so yeah. frustrating. And and it's it's funny because it's, it's actually kind of hypocritical because at one point in, in this documentary – Kevin Smith brings up the point, you know, right. why why don't we just talk to the comic book people? And Peter's response was, "Well, they're they're just comic book people." Yeah, yeah. Like like very dismissive. Like yep. why yep. why would we go talk to them? We just know it's Superman, and that's all we care about. Like, yep. Yeah, it, it really is. And it, the the stuff with Kevin Smith is particularly good because he really doesn't pull any punches. I mean, he's no. willing to talk about the meetings and naming the names, and you know. And there's a there's a point where he's told that he has to bring his script to John Peters and he has to read it to John Peters. <laughs> and Kevin Smith's like, "What do you mean read it to him? Like it's a bedtime story?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah pretty much. That's exactly what it is." And Kevin Smith's like, "What the f is going on?" It's like so that stuff's a lot of fun. Uh, it's just because you just get the sense that that Kevin Smith just doesn't care yeah. about who he's who who he might offend, which might be the case. So. Um, yeah, I didn't have any real major criticism. I think the only minor thing I would say about this film is like the setups in terms of just the, where the, where Schnepp puts the camera to me is a little awkward because there's lots of scenes of, scenes of Schnepp just sort of standing there, and as opposed to you know having the guy being interviewed just like as him by himself talking right. to the camera, as you see in a lot of documentaries, and maybe that's on purpose. Maybe he wanted to have it a more intimate feel because he does kind of host it, yeah. Um, as opposed to you know something like maybe by Earl Morris or Alex Gibney, who you know those guys don't tend to appear on camera. Um, but that's a very minor criticism. I mean, overall, I was really entertained. Uh, he keeps it moving along. If anything, like I said, I think it's almost maybe a little too much information. Like there's a long section near, I'd say around the two thirds mark, where you're just seeing production material, just one after the other. And and I would, I'm happy to see it all, but I'm almost kind of like, all right, I get it now. I, you know, I, I almost felt like there was the story of the the film wasn't moving forward anymore. It was now just sort of a gallery of showing me stuff, but. Overall, I thought that was very minor. I really came away from this this documentary regretting that we never got to see this movie. Uh, and I, I can't even think that's the ultimate compliment. And that's maybe what Schnepp would want is that you, you know, you're you're kind of mourning the the, the loss of what might have been a really interesting movie. Yeah, uh, the um, 
one of the one of the things that, that hit me was like the casting. Like I I would have loved to have seen the cast they talked about. With the uh, Sandra Bullock as Lois Lane and yeah, Chris Rock as Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> Chris Rock as Jimmy Olsen, who showed up on Kevin Smith's set for Dogma. Guess who's playing Jimmy Olsen? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Luth, uh, Kevin Spacey would have been Luthor and ended up being Luthor. And it, as weird as it sounds, um, Christopher Walken as Brainiac. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Having Nicholas Cage and Christopher Walken in a movie together. <laughs> That might have like ripped some sort of hole in the fabric of reality. I don't, I don't know if we could stood that, but yeah, it, it, there was, there was really a lot of interesting stuff there. And this, this film, I think, sits, uh, could sit comfortably in like a really fun film festival of movies about other movies that never got made. Right. Um, like there's that movie out now, Doomed, about the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie, which I have yes. yet to see, but now I really want to see it. <laughs> And there's um, – from last year, there was Hodorowski's Dune, which was my favorite movie of last mm-hmm. year actually about the, uh, the, the you know, version of Dune that never got made. And then there's uh, Terry Gilliam's Lost in La Mancha about right. the, his version of uh, Don Quixote that he never finished. So like you could, really pl- you could really put together a really cool film festival of films about films that never got made. And, and this – I think this stands up there with those. It's maybe on a little more on the fanboyish – side as opposed to some of these other films but it, it it's really thoroughly entertaining and like i said he really did his homework in terms of getting i was impressed that he got tim burton i really was like i didn't necessarily think burton was i didn't i hadn't visited the website uh until i was ready to see the movie so i didn't know burton was that heavily in it and then i'm like oh there he wow and i, I love the the, the the little crying at the bottom of the screen where it's like tim burton's estate <laughs> i'm like okay that's what directing several successful films buys you. Is is it a right. state in England somewhere? That that was. Did you notice? The, slightly off topic, but it, it stuck in my head the whole time he's interviewing Tim Burton. Right behind Burton is this large seahorse statue. Yes. And all I could do in my head was think, what if Tim Burton made an Aquaman movie? Oh Lord! Oh my <laughs> God! Yeah, I. And you know what's funny too? The other thing, I Tim Burton sort of talks about that he would still love to make this movie, which yeah. that was shocking to me. I really figured that he would have kind of moved on from that because he's, he's sort of expanded his his palette a little in terms of the films he's been making. I mean, some stuff. I mean, he's still kind of doing Alice in Wonderland. And, but, right. you know, um, Big Eyes, and I know he's working – I forget. He's got something He's got something else new coming out, I think, even this year or next year. Um, so I was a little – surprised that he's as mournful of it as he was but i mean he put a lot of work into it you know he really did um so yeah i could you know i guess i could see why you would just always imagine what could have been um i'm trying to imagine what the toy line would have been for this movie (laughs) because it would have been some weird ass stuff but uh you know i don't know i i I, like i said it's it i think it was a very entertaining movie i think anybody who's a comic book fan or particularly a superman fan you should absolutely see this because I think it's just it's just very informative. It's just, you just come away with it going, wow, a lot of really talented people, and what a crazy world that Hollywood is sometimes. It, this many creatively talented and expensive people can be put to work on something, and then at some point, uh, you know, the studio can just pull the plug and say, yeah, we just, we're just throwing all that money away. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really all I have to say about it. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we sign off? Um, you know what? I will. I will quote. I will quote Kevin Smith from the movie. If if someone approached me now 
today in in 2015 and said, "What I want to see a Nick Cage super movie, Superman movie." Um, in the words of Kevin Smith, I would say, "Fuck and yes." <laughs> <laughs> Take <laughs> because, my money. Because this this would it have lived up to the hype? I I don't know, but but there is so much there that it's like like we were talking before. It, it was so much more developed than anyone ever realized. Yeah. That that now I'm I'm disappointed that I never got to see the finished product. Yeah. All all for the longest time, all you had was that that Polaroid shot. That yeah, which Brian Singer used. He talks <laughs> yes. about every every time Warner Brothers gave him grief about how his version was going, he held up that par- Polaroid. He's like, "And you guys were going to make this." Yeah. So shut up. <laughs> yeah, but then but then when you see some of the costume tests, there was actually a, a really nice. Superman suit with with the even with the red underpants or actually I guess it was more like a red cod piece um, that actually was a, a brighter blue the the red trunks it it looked more like Superman than than I think we've seen in the last couple movies yeah yeah you know the one other thing I did think about uh, when watching it was you know in the nineties even as late as the nineties I think fans tend to tended to really get scared when there was a movie adaptation that was so far afield of the source material because you felt like this was the only version you were ever going to get again. Right. And now that we've lived through several reboots within (laughs) just the last five years, I don't think there's that fear anymore. You know what I mean? Like in 1998, if Burton had made the Superman movie and it was a disaster, I think a lot of us would have been like, well, now there's never going to be another Superman movie for 20 years, so it's not worth the risk. Well, now you know that isn't true, because look at that. They've already rebooted Fantastic Four twice, yeah, and they're going to have to reboot it a third time. They've rebooted Spider-Man twice, and they're going to do it a third time. You know, So now we know that these properties, they, you know, studios are just much more willing to say, oh, that didn't work. Let's just shake, shake the etch sketch and start over. So even if this one hadn't flown, no pun intended – they would have just done another Superman movie. It wouldn't have killed Superman theatrically for decades. They just would have started over again. Right. So there would have almost been no harm to have tried it. So, somewhere there's a, a parallel world where this movie was made and a couple years later, Superman Returns came along to reboot the franchise. Yes. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. And that's probably the same world where Brian Singer got to do the sequel to his Superman, his Superman movie. Right. He, he called, he said we were going to Wrath of Khan it and, and toughen it up, which I still sort of mourn that we never got to see that because, like I said, I like Superman Returns. And I think the, the the flaws of that movie, it sounded like Singer was cognizant of them and wanted to fix them for for the next film. But, of course, we will never get to see that. So right. it's a, yeah, another – somewhere on Earth too, you know, where uh, the, the superheroes fought in World War Two. there's this version of the Superman movie. So. Anyway, uh, I think we both – really like this movie you said anybody you've watched it four times i think that's yeah. pretty much an indication so um for anybody who, who said who likes superman who likes movies about movies i definitely would give this a try you can buy it off the website which is uh com, which is the death of superman lives what happened again we'll have this link in the show notes and i think you can stream it too or, or different there's different purchasing options so uh, and you know you should always support somebody who's 
you know, go out making their own film. You know, good for them. So uh, I think Tim, I have to thank you a for pointing this for like you know reminding me of this and kind of kicking me in the butt to get it to watch it because I'm really glad that I saw it and I really appreciate you coming on to, on the show to to talk with me about it. No, no, th- thank you for having me. I've since since I've been watching it, I've talked to anybody that will listen. Yeah, I have coworkers who are probably sick of hearing about it now. So it's <laughs> so it's good to talk to somebody that actually did appreciate it too. Awesome. That's it. it was, it's it. It's really a lot of fun. So uh, before we sign off, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, at uh, my Blue Beetle blog, cordindustries.blogspot.com. And we're just waiting for the day when there's a Blue Beetle movie, right? Yes, we are. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still still got my fingers crossed. Um, and I would I would be remiss if I didn't also add that I, I also do contribute to the uh, Legion of Super Bloggers. That's right. That's yeah. right. All right. So uh, I guess that's really going to be it. As always, you can shoot uh, an email to the show at firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Uh, you can uh, leave comments on the blog, which is firewaterpodcast.blogspot.com. Uh, so that's really going to wrap it up for now. So until the next episode, that's a wrap. With Tim Burton, we never really got far enough to develop the complexities about Krypton. However, that when, it, when Krypton blew up, Hold on a second, just a second. Pause for a second. Hello, I'm in the middle of this interview. What do you need? Yeah, do it, do it, do it, okay. Hello? Let me just take this one thing real quick, all right. Everybody has heard about the guy. Uh, My guys know all about him. I would love to have lunch with him if you could set that up, yeah. How much money did you guys raise for him? So I could put some in there if I wanted to? Okay. All right, I love you. Set this up for me. I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks. Bye. Sorry about that. No worries. Life goes on.